Asia Pacific currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning, and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the、uh, approximately twenty sixth, the twenty sixth of February. You're here on Community Radio Three CR. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm taking you through to nine thirty this morning.、Um, my crew is unavailable today, so it's me flying solo on the show on the program this morning. But we're gonna、uh, we're gonna have a lot of news and information from the Asia Pacific region. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms、um, for new, for more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. In the second part of the show, a bit of a different story today.、Um, I was intending to interview Shivani Kaur from、uh, from India in relation to the Anganwadi workers' strike. This is the group of workers who are pre and postnatal care workers who have been striking for over a month now、um, for increased wages.、Um, there, we, we've covered their struggle a lot on Asia Pacific Currents. It started. As a, a fight for recognition as actual workers, because these、uh, women were only paid a stipend because they supposedly loved、um, working with pregnant women through、um, childbirth and then postnatal care,、uh, and and their fight was to be recognised as workers, which they won, and now they're fighting for an increase in those wages. Uh, we'll bring you that story next week,、um, and of course, it would have been really important to look at and cover the war between Russia and Ukraine, and as、uh, a lot of people are calling it, a proxy war in Europe.、Um, and I'll talk about that、uh, just a little bit in a moment, but we're also not going to feature that on today's program. In the second part of the show, I'm going to broadcast a speech by a woman called Sona Kesemi, who's a research fellow of migration studies and disability studies、um, at Ohio State University, and she talks about、um, the discrimination against and the consequences for people with disabilities in Iran under the COVID pandemic. It's a bit of it's an interesting talk.、Uh, it's re- relevant to the region, and I hope you enjoy that.、Um, That talk later in the program, and next week we'll resume our coverage of worker issues across the Asia Pacific region. I do want to point to a couple of things in relation to the、um, to Russia's war on the Ukraine.、Um, I know that there is some divided opinion on the left about whether this is a a fight between two imperialist powers or whether、um, the US should intervene or should not intervene. And of course, those. General debates on the left in the anti-war movement will continue to be prosecuted by comrades that have differing views on that. I think it is important to say we oppose any wars against by imperialists against civilians, and、um, overwhelmingly the victims of this war in the Ukraine is civilians. I saw some 
horrific footage of uh, tanks rolling over cars in Kiev uh, with people still in those cars. So uh, let's not kid ourselves regardless of what side um, or what position uh, there is to take in relation to how to end the war. The demand still must be to end the war. I want to remind listeners as well that in October uh, last year, a group of naval vessels from Russia and China conducted a joint maritime military patrol in the waters of the Pacific Ocean, specifically around Japan, around Japan's main island. Um, And uh, the argument given by China and Russia was that the two countries were doing that as a means of ensuring stability in what is said to be a volatile region. Of course, we know now that those, and as the analysis was at the time, that this was preparation for a bigger war. Um, Two weeks ago, around um, February 15, Moscow deployed 24 warships to waters close to Japan, again, um, in preparation for this war. So uh, I, I think that this idea that it took people by surprise or that we only knew that um, the war was imminent in the last couple of weeks is absolute rubbish. Um, imperialist powers have been positioning for war for quite some time. Uh, we will bring you news and analysis of the war, not just in relation, I mean, obviously in its relation to its impact on Asia, um, but in relation to workers everywhere around the world. War is not good for any of us and um, we've been predicting uh, a third world war for some time and we may very well have it and that doesn't invalidate or take away from all of the wars across Africa and the Middle East that continue to have been waged for the last 20 or 30 years um, but it is a definite escalation in war activity across the globe. It's six minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR and I'm going to go to news from around the region. We're going to start in South Korea. For more than 50 days, a group of logistics workers have occupied the headquarters of CG Logistics in central Seoul, calling on management to hold talks and honour the terms of an agreement reached last year to ease the gruelling working conditions of delivery drivers. Delivery drivers' working conditions have been an issue of considerable public interest in South Korea in recent years, following several workplace deaths involving cardiovascular ailments and labour groups attributing this stress um, to spending long hours loading and delivering packages. South Korean delivery drivers are protesting around the clock at the headquarters of CG Logistics for better paying conditions. The public interest and tensions in the industry abated last year when workers and management reached a government-mediated agreement to improve working conditions. CJ workers say they are braving the winter cold because a company has failed to follow the terms of that deal. In Iraq, Audrey Uzuleh, the chief of UNESCO, will visit the northern Iraqi city of Mosul in March to inaugurate the second phase of UNESCO's Reviving the Spirit of Mosul project. UNESCO is rebuilding cultural and religious sites in Mosul that were destroyed during the occupation of the city by ISIS between 2014 and 2017. And it also includes rebuilding the homes of Mosul residents who endured ISIS rule or have since returned from exile. 
The progress of the UNESCO initiative stands in contrast to the ongoing hardship experienced by Mosul residents. In recent weeks, people in Mosul have had to queue for hours for petrol. Locals are angry that in Iraq, the world's second largest oil producer, they're experiencing fuel shortages and the army has been mobilised to prevent violence. The local government has blamed illegal smuggling for the shortages, citing a 40% price difference between fuel in Nineveh province, where Mosul is located, and the neighbouring Kurdistan region as encouraging smuggling. And moving to Thailand on Valentine's Day, which was the 14th of February, more than 100 members of Industrial Global Union in the Asia-Pacific region took lingerie brands Victoria's Secret, Torrid and Lane Bryant to task, urging the brands to take responsibility for the workers in their supply chains. The Regional Day of Action was held in support of members of the affiliate Confederation of Industrial Labour of of Thailand, who were fired without notice in March 2021 as a factory suddenly closed. The workers, mostly women, were left in dire conditions in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. To date, the workers have yet to receive wages, overtime, holiday and severance pay. In New Zealand, laboratory workers, contract, contact tracers and other critical health staff are planning to strike twice next month after rejecting a pay offer from district health boards. The workers want higher pay, equal treatment with other health professionals and action on safe staffing and retention. PSA union organiser Will Matthews said the planned strikes come after 15 months of fruitless negotiations and showed the depth of the workers' frustration. There are over 70 groups of workers who will take strike action, from laboratory workers who are responsible for the swift testing and return of COVID-19 tests and COVID-19 contact tracers, to sterile supplies technicians who clean and sterilise all surgical equipment prior to procedures. New Zealand needs each and every one of these professionals, and yet many of them don't even earn a living wage. PSA member Leighton said many of the union's workers were burnt out and some could not even get leave. Fellow member Nicola said the mental health workforce was also stretched from before the pandemic and now they were close to burnout. PSA has launched a petition calling on the government to make an offer that addresses pay, progression, retention and skill mix. And our last story for this morning is from Pakistan. A senior journalist, Mohsin Jamil Beg, was arrested by Islamabad police under the Anti-Terrorism Act on the 16th of February after a raid on his residence by Pakistan Federal Investigations Agency. The IFJ, the International Federation of Journalists, and its Pakistan affiliate, the Pakistan Federal Union of Journalists, urged the authorities to immediately drop the charges against Baig and condemn the rising attacks on journalists in Pakistan. The journalist's residence was stormed at 9.30am on that on the 16th of February due to an alleged cybercrime complaint lodged by the Federal Minister for Communications, uh, Murad Saeed Baig, who is the owner and editor of the newspaper Daily Jinnah and online news agency, was later apprehended by Islamabad police. During the raid, Baig allegedly held a pistol and pointed it towards the officers, and this is only according to the police inspector. 
But two separate cases have been registered against BAIG under sections of the Anti-Terror Act and the Pakistan Penal Code. A spokesperson for BAIG said that the um, Federal Investigations Authority had no warrant for his arrest and claimed that BAIG was beaten and his family members were harassed during the raid. A bunch of trumped-up charges and falsified evidence against Comrade Jamil BAIG, um, basically for reporting on um, things that the government of Pakistan doesn't want um, broadcast um, what, according to the FIA, which is the Federal Investigation Agency, Baig, who has been openly critical of the Pakistan government's policies, um, apparently he has used immoral and abusive language when discussing Minister Saeed on a talk show, alleging that Baig had shattered the federal minister's public image. And for that, his uh, freedom of... Um, uh, speech has been curtailed. 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Some community announcements and then our feature story for the morning. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Stay tuned to 3CR, support community radio and your local music scene and subscribe now. Forty minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. Sona Kazemi is a research fellow of Migration Studies, Disability Studies and Medical Humanities at the Ohio State University. She researches the living conditions of people who become injured or disabled as a result of wars, incarceration, torture, gendered violence, punitive limb amputation, genocide and political instability. In the Middle East. She gave a talk at a public meeting discussing the situation for women under COVID 19 in Iran. Hi, thank you so much uh, for inviting me, and thank you, all the panelists and attendees. My research area is um, disability and disablement in different contexts, uh, mostly where, uh, in Iran and where uh, Sharia law is like the dominant. Um, basically rhetoric in the judiciary system. So before I get into how uh, COVID has impacted the the lives of my research participants, or rather uh, a lot of disabled folks in Iran, including a lot of disabled women, um, I just need to define a couple of things before I start describing the situation. And that is a couple of words. See, when we talk about discrimination against the women and LGBT, we use the word sexism. We, we use the word gender equality when we want to name that this is the violence that's happening against this particular population because of their uh, sexual orientation or because of their gender or because of their sex. 
um, we know what to call that. We call that sexism, that, that is obvious. Or when there's discrimination against um, black, indigenous or people of color, we know what to call that, it's called racism. But when it comes to disabled people, sometimes we don't know what to call it. What is the discrimination against disabled people? What do you call that? That is called ableism. Able, like A-B-L-E-I-S-M. So that is the ism. So I just thought I'd define that first. So ableism means looking at the able-bodied individual or um, non-disabled folks, as we call them, and see their bodies somehow more valuable than disabled people's bodies. Well, unfortunately, in so many communities and cultures, I can say almost every culture, that is considered common sense. Well, pandemic hit, we don't have enough ventilators in the, and in the hospital. So of course we're gonna give it to the non-disabled people first because disabled people's lives worth less. Unfortunately, this is the ableist logic that exists in the medical establishment, exists in cultures, and it is very unfortunate. I have had conversations with doctors inside and outside Iran that have said to me, well, you know, it's very unfortunate, but when we have a disabled person and a non-disabled person, we automatically go to, to give the ventilator to the non-disabled person. Or if we have an elderly and a younger person, we automatically think the elderly person's life is worth less. So this person has a long life ahead of them, so let's give the ventilator to this young person. These logics are discriminatory and wrong. They are unethical. And it is very important that we have a name for it so we can call it something. Another example that I can give you is the eugenics logic. Remember um, when the Nazi uh, crimes were taking place during the Holocaust, a lot of disabled folks were put into the gas chambers. A lot of members of the LGBT, along with um, Romas and communists and Jews and a lot of minorities were put into gas chambers. So um, it is very important to realize that this eugenics logic, eugenics meaning um, seeing the, the better genes in a certain population and ignoring the rest. So this is a Nazi logic, but it's unfortunately everywhere. Sweden, for instance, practiced eugenics until the 70s. Um, many countries have engaged in sterilizing disabled people, seeing their lives worthless, so on and so forth. So I, it's just important. I just thought this foundation is really necessary. And when we talk about disabled people's lives, especially during a global uh, crisis like, like the COVID-19, we realize that uh, their lives automatically thought of as less valuable. So this is, this is the biggest challenge disabled people have faced. One, the second point that I would like to emphasize is that after one year in the isolation, we all know how terrible it is. We all know what it does with our psyche. We all know what it does with our mental health. We, we all know what anxiety and depression do to us now that we have to be in the quarantine. So now it's a good time to reflect and think what happens to a lot of people in psychiatric institutions who are behind bars according to this carceral logics that disabled people should be contained, should be disciplined, should be put away, should be segregated. We have leper colonies, for example. Iran has leper colonies. Iran has two leper colonies, one in Baba Bari, um, near Tabriz, where I'm from, and we have another one near the city of Neishabur, um, uh, in the northeast corner of Iran. Um, you might think that leper colonies have been long eradicated. That's not true. There are leper colonies around the world where people with leprosy live and they don't have to because leprosy is not contagious. We all know that. 
but it's still the 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 assumption is that hmm you have leprosy so you should be put away but we know now what it does to people so maybe it's time to rethink all those logics of um incarceration for example we have a lot of disabled people within the carceral system inside iran outside iran all over the world we have people in prison that uh, a lot of these people are disabled people a lot of these people behind bars are actually people with mental health concerns who will not be rehabilitated behind bars they will only get worse so it's time to rethink all those assumptions and coming to the point i know we don't have much time um i would like to discuss the living conditions of disabled people in iran before and during the pandemic Iran is a signatory to the UN Convention of Rights of Disabled People. Uh, there is a convention Iran is a signatory of that but a, like many other things that Iran is a signatory of uh, Iran does not abide by the, the items on on that convention. Uh for instance um on the CRPO we have that um there there has to be no discrimination against disabled people for employment for for accessing housing for accessing um social services medical care but that's unfortunately not true. Um disabled people the moment they they want to leave their house they um they run into steps. There's very inaccessible buildings. There's inaccessible streets, even for war veterans or uh, civilians who 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 became disabled during the Iran-Iraq War. Um, the streets are still very inaccessible. So that is that. I mean, leaving the house is like a big deal, which again adds to the isolation. And now during the pandemic, gets even worse because you cannot leave your house. But besides that, uh, there is uh, the welfare organization in Iran because, as we know, disability uh, should always have a relationship to the nation state. Otherwise. disabled people cannot survive and that's the whole point of disability well not the whole point but some aspect of the disability rights movement has always been to push the government to push the state to create and sustain a good relationship with its disabled population because that's the whole point of a state why do we need a state if a state doesn't protect its citizens especially the most vulnerable ones but the islamic republic of iran has failed dramatically in supporting its disabled population uh it has drastically failed to support its um, disabled war veterans who are supposed to be war heroes never mind uh women who um experience a systematic uh, abuse under gender apartheid regime of the islamic republic where um access to a lot of things are hindered they're just segregated um, everything is segregated for women uh, there is mandatory hijab laws that are oppressive and so on and so forth that um i mean you all know but what is really important here is that the welfare organization which is called behzisti in iran that is supposed to provide services for disabled people supports such a minimum amount even before these sanctions from from its inception it has provided very very little for the disabled people and has seen them as less valuable a lot of people that i work with are acid attack survivors there are women who become uh, who have become disabled as um as a, 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 as part of an attack an acid attack which is a misogynist um uh, sexist um attack that usually happens to women it also happens to men sometimes but mostly to women and uh, a lot of these people have become disfigured and um disabled and blind so now uh, suddenly after 30 years of uh, being a sighted individual um 
um, they have become blind. So now they suddenly have to belong to some, to someone, to, to, to some organization to support them and to help them. And disabled people really rely on these uh, community building efforts uh, because it's a grassroots movement. Otherwise, going back to my first point, this is eugenics logic. No one, no one would want them, right? Because of that ableist culture that exists everywhere, including Iranian. Um, so one example is uh, touching. Like for example, imagine a woman who has become blind now is navigating the world through touch and through smelling and hearing and not sight. And suddenly we say, don't touch anything. It's the COVID era. So how is she supposed to navigate? How, how, is, she, how is she supposed to touch the elevator buttons? How is she supposed to touch the, touch the rail in the subway? How, we, how is she supposed to get around? Uh, one particular woman that I worked with uh, had become blind as a result of an acid attack and um, went into a pottery class, you know, pottery making, and she became so good at it that she started teaching pottery to others. And um, as soon as COVID hit, she lost her job um, and um, she totally relies on volunteers and grassroots you know, charities that thanks the Islamic Republic also closed down on charities because it's so afraid of civil uh, civil organizations and civil, like Imam Ali, which is um, Imam Ali, um, a charity that was closed down recently um, as one of the charities that was supporting people. It is really important that we understand whenever civil society is attacked, which has been attacked for the past 42 years under this regime, is that disabled people are the first number one hit. Uh, they are hit the hardest because often they rely on these services to survive. Besides that, there has been um, so much violence to uh, that deaf people have had to endure because a lot of deaf people in Iran uh, read your lips when they speak with you because you don't sign, because you don't speak their language. They, they sign, they use sign language, you don't. And when they want to talk to you, you are wearing a mask, so they cannot read your lips. Uh, so it's very difficult for deaf and hard of hearing people to, 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 to see, um, to, to read your lips and see what you're saying. So that is lack of communication and lack of communication is um, um, terrible for your mental health because you, you can't connect, you, you, go, you become more depressed and this is the pandemic. So it's really, really important to think about all those aspects um, or losing one's job. I mean, it's very hard for disabled people to find a job in the first place because of discrimination that exists. And even if there is no discrimination, there's a still ableist attitudes. Uh, people don't want to hire disabled people because the, 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 the assumption is that, hmm, disabled people would not work efficiently, as efficiently as I want them to. So these are ableist assumptions that exist in the, in the society and they need to be eradicated if we are to think about having a more inclusive uh, society for, for everyone. And again, um, I think I need to to wrap up. And again, I, I just want to emphasize one more time that the welfare organization in Iran that is supposed to provide for the disabled people has been paying them very, very little money. It's, it, it's funny if I give you the amount. It's, it's a funny amount. It's so little. And these people uh, rely on people, grassroots uh, uh, organization and real people and volunteers to survive. So if you have a disabled neighbor, if you have a disabled family member, don't forget to check on them, see what they need. Um, be with them, and it's time to rethink um, to to abolish all uh, psychiatric institutions and prisons. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways: Retracing Melbourne's Queer Footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne 
combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter. Well, that is all all we've got time for on today's program of Asia-Pacific Currents. That interview or speech that you were listening to was Sona Kazemi, who's a research fellow of Migration Studies, Disability Studies and Medical Humanities at Ohio State University. Thanks for tuning in to Asia-Pacific Currents. Uh, I'm Giselle Hanna. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. Stay tuned to 3CR for the rest of the day, but coming up next is Palestine Remembered.